We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everyone, welcome in to another Buzz Beat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'm going solo today. Let's recap the Hornets game from last night against the Knicks. Let's answer any questions here in Twitter spaces. I also have a handful of other listener questions that I'm sure I'll get to here in this recording. So the game last night, good win for the Hornets, 104-96 over the Knicks. Bumps this team back up to 500 with a 7-7 record. Drops the Knicks down to 7-6. And uh, it was a back-and-forth game, a game of a lot of like long, extended runs, especially in that third quarter for the Hornets. And the Knicks even had a run of their own with their bench unit and was able to get a lead in the fourth quarter. And then it's funny, actually, when the starters came back for the Knicks, that's when Hornets went on the run to end the game. So Kemba returns to Charlotte once again, had a really fast start, scored I think 17 points in that first quarter he finished with 26 overall so meaning he only scored nine points in those final three quarters of play really really bad games from the Knicks I guess quote-unquote two best players in RJ Barrett and Randall did not shoot the ball well at all Barrett scored two points for the Knicks Randall scoring just 10 points I thought Alec Burks had a pretty sneaky, underrated game for the Knicks. Big fan of Quickly. I thought Quickly played well, and he was a good spark from behind the arc for that team. He does have a weird, like, shooting form to me. Like, his legs just are kind of cockeyed a little bit. But he he nailed, like, two threes in a matter of, like, 30 seconds to end the third quarter to give a little bit of momentum uh, to Knicks heading into that fourth quarter. But, again, that bench unit for the Knicks – could really only hold on for so long. You know, Thibodeau played them as long as he could, and that lead that they tried to kind of sustain a little bit in that fourth quarter, it only was sustained for so long because once when Randall and RJ came back in, the Hornets basically went on a run of their own. So 
I'll highlight a couple of players, and if there's anyone here in Twitter Spaces that has a comment or, or a question, I'll take it. I'm solo today, so this is not going to last too long, but just wanted to talk some Charlotte Hornets here. I see Owen. I see Eddie in here as well. A couple of players that I want to highlight from last night. Uh, Lamella Ball did not shoot the ball particularly well from the court, but definitely filled up the stat sheet. He was one assist away from another triple-double in his career, and he had 17 freaking rebounds, 17 rebounds. He's always been a good rebounder for a guard and really just a good rebounder in, in general. But you could tell with the way that the energy was uh, in the Spectrum Center last night, and especially in the second half, he had a little bit of extra juice, extra energy, and he had this like want to when attacking the boards. And one thing that I did notice coming out of halftime with LaMelo was that his defensive intensity – was evident. I think sometimes he can get a little bit lackadaisical on that end, uh, maybe earlier in the games too, when there's not as much like at stakes, I guess. But when he came out in the second half and he was picking up Kimball full court, he was navigating and fighting through screens with a purpose. Like you could tell that he was wanting to win this game. And even Miles said it after the game, it, it felt like a playoff atmosphere. And I don't like the fact that uh, the Knicks fans, obviously, they travel well, but they you could hear them as Obi Toppin was you know, making that windmill dunk and quickly was making his threes. But the energy was, was really good last night from the crowd, and I think LaMelo fed off of that. I think Miles fed off of that. So even though LaMelo didn't shoot the ball really that well from the court, he's clearly able to impact the game in, in so many other areas. And some players, when they don't shoot the ball well, there's nothing else that they can turn to and nothing else that they can kind of impact the game with. But that's not the case for LaMelo Ball. But another player that I've got to talk about here is Gordon Hayward. Um, I think sometimes he can get overlooked, whether it's this game or just in general on this team. You know, Rozier looked solid, you know, had a nice third quarter. Miles has the windmill dunk. He had the clutch plays down the stretch. I just mentioned Melo and his near triple-double. But we can't overstate what Gordon Hayward means to this team. He did play 37 minutes, which was a, uh, a team high. And uh, for one of the older players on this roster, if not the oldest, I can't remember if him or Ish are, is the older player. But uh, anyway, you would think that those minutes would have to come down a little bit. He did score 22 points, 9 of 17 from two-point range. Had seven assists, which was probably the biggest thing that I noted. Six of those coming in the second half and five rebounds. So just like LaMelo, he's filling out the stat sheet as well. Obviously, he just isn't as flashy. He doesn't have the highlight plays. He does it through power. He does it through fundamentals. You know, I think the Hornets picked on R.J. Barrett, and he was just a little bit more powerful, a little bit more quicker to the spots. Uh, in terms of where he wanted to go. And there was a couple of plays where he would just cut from the corner and RJ would be a step slow. And Hayward doesn't mind backing in to that defender and getting space down there and, and creating space with his strength. I think his, I think his actual physical strength is underrated at, at times. And I think he uses it really well, functionally well. Um, so I, I don't think that can be overstated enough the way that he does play so Eddie I do see here that you have a request let me finish my little spiel here on on Hayward and I will get to you uh, there is a Twitter thread that I put out today in terms of how he played and you know using him as a screener 
Kimba Walker, obviously undersized. They tried to pick on him a little bit. And there was a couple of times where Hayward would either go up for a screen or slip real quick and, and get that mismatch. You can just use him in so many different ways. And I think, like I said, the biggest thing last night was the seven assist because when he gets it going, he has a way about him that he can drive and kick and find open shooters. He's very effective. And I think when teams realize that he's got it going and Borrego turns to Hayward in certain situations, all eyes are on him. He's got a veteran enough presence to know, hey, even if I got it going, I'm not going to just start forcing up shots, even if I'm, I have the hot hand right now. So there's a couple times in that second half where drove, kick, drove, kick, and it led to three assists on three back-to-back-to-back possessions uh, in that third quarter. And like I said, seven assists overall for Gordon Hayward last night. So well-rounded game for him. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Eddie, I will turn to you if you have a comment or a question. Um, yeah, so those are a few things. I really did enjoy your um, thread, your Twitter thread this morning, just seeing how well um, Gordon was able to play. And, you know, he's, you know, that, that sneaky points. You always look at the end of the day, you always look, you're like surprised how many points. You're like, oh, wow, he really was scoring really well. Outside of that, I really did. I am noticing that when LaMelo locks in, He's a real threat in the passing lanes, which I really do. Um, it's, it's a really interesting gamble just to be able to watch it and see, especially when it pays off. And lastly, to not take too long, I'm really excited to see 
um, James Booknight, and hopefully Kai Jones play tonight in a G League game. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for them to actually get some playing time somewhere. Do some you, actual playing time somewhere. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Uh, but do you put much stock into G League play, Eddie? Like, do you take a lot away from it in terms of like, okay, this guy drops 30 in G League? Is that something that you're like, okay, that's going to translate, or do you just kind of take it with a grain of salt? Personally, I would say that I put a, I probably put in it as much as I would put into summer league, maybe a little bit more because you are going against, I say, a little better competition. But I do think that it's a lot of, I do think it's better than sitting on a bench for 48 minutes and just watching the game because I can definitely see, uh, especially book night's frustration just sitting there and uh, <laughs> game in and game out. So in my mind, it's, it's just something better than sitting. Yeah, I would agree. I think some people say that you can't learn too much from sitting on the end of the bench. I, I think you can take away certain things while watching the team play, but I think to your point, James Booknight, especially this high draft pick, uh, he needs some run out there. And, and we've had this conversation here on the pod before where a little bit surprised as to why Book Knight's not getting some run, but I just think with the way that Cody Martin's been playing as well, Ubre, he's sitting behind. So all these kind of guards slash wings, and obviously Rozier is slowly coming back to health. It's going to be hard to find some time for Book Knight. So I'll be interesting to see. I'm not going to watch them play uh, tonight in the swarm, uh, but I probably will look at the numbers after the fact. But it's always one of those things if they put up 30 points, like it's 30 points in the G League. And um, hopefully they aren't developing bad habits and taking bad shots. And the good thing about Greensboro and Charlotte is that they run the same system and uh, they try to look for the same types of shots. And hopefully the, both of these players, both James and Kai, play within themselves and, and don't try to take too many shots that are out of their, their realm. Other notes from last night, uh, like I said, Bridges just totally outplayed Randall. Uh, I, I love the fact that Obi Toppin, first off, had a... Uh, windmill dunk and then several possessions later miles bridges did the same thing uh his three was not falling last night bridges that is but uh he was still able to plug away and he fed off the crowd he had that one spin move uh late in the game against julius randall in the middle of the court the fourth quarter uh, it led to a finger roll bucket that felt like the nail in the coffin there because the bench unit for the knicks did bring them back in the fourth quarter. But once when RJ and Julius came back in, uh, it was actually the momentum switched to Charlotte, which is crazy. Another note from last night, I don't really have the numbers in front of me, but uh, the zone, which we saw a lot of against Memphis, was, I don't think was as effective. Um, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me. They definitely didn't use it as much as they did against the Grizzlies. And uh, that's going to be interesting to see how they use that moving forward because, we, as we all know, as Hornets fans, the defense for this team is not great. I need to look up what their defensive rating is real quick. Yeah, they're uh, 27th, 27th overall, which is <laughs> bottom four there. Mason Plumlee, I would love to hear from anyone here in Twitter spaces what their thoughts are on Mason Plumlee. I, I get the concerns with that guy. He's an east-west type of guy in offense. Teams are playing off of him, and he's not attacking that space. He clogs the offensive side of the court for stretches. But I still, I, I still don't think he's as bad as people are making him out to be. Um, is he great? 
No. Is he passable? I would say yes. I think he's going to help the team rebound the ball well. He's even valuable on the offensive glass. He has a lot of rebounds where he just kind of taps it back out. He's going to hit cutters with his passes. I think sometimes I've noted over the past couple of games, like some of his passes have not ended up as assist because obviously the guy doesn't doesn't make it on the back end. So you're not seeing that in the stat sheet. I, I think he's been decent. I think he's been decent. I still think there are concerns with the center rotation and obviously PJ I think that when he comes back, there's going to be some conversations whether or not he needs to start at the five. I don't know if anyone has any feelings about that, but PJ, I feel like, has transitioned almost to a center at this point in his career where he's not playing a whole lot of minutes at that four. Um, you're not seeing him and Plumley play together all that much. So, Eddie, what do you have you have thoughts on on uh, Mason Plumley here? Like I I get it. Like he's not he's not the greatest, but I also think that the hate that he's received uh, probably is not as deserved. I completely agree. I think that we all I guess expected Mason Plumley to come in and we were I guess surprised to have him come in and we were like, "Oh, that's I guess he's the the starting center. Um, I think for what he does, he does well, but I think people have high expectations, especially coming off of many years in a row of not having a yeah. dominant center in the middle or so or a center who can stretch the floor religiously. I do think that if another center was to be traded for, you know, the Miles Turners of the world that always being spoke about. I do think I could actually see PJ kind of moving back to the four. I could definitely see a lineup of a LaMelo, Terry, Miles, PJ, and insert other center who can stretch <laughs> the floor. But um, that's just my thought, uh, but I completely agree with you. I think for what he does, he does well, we know his capabilities. I just think when people people are just ready for the next growth at the center position. Yeah, that I think that's part of it. Like the Hornets really haven't had a great center in the longest time. And centers like are a dying breed in, in the sense that more people are going small. So uh, Borrego is like fully bought into that. So it seems like PJ Washington is that perfect fit as that small ball five, but you clearly need depth. I'm actually enjoying Nick Richards in terms of his growth as well. I think his emergence has been great this year. I would still say I have a little bit more trust in Plumlee in terms of what he can be like as a net gain versus Richards. Um, I think he's just, I have a slight more confidence level in Plumlee and I think it's obviously due to a lot because of the experience. But, yeah, the center position has not been great for Charlotte. Uh, he definitely clogs the lane on the offensive side of the court. But he does have some passing chops that I think people don't recognize sometimes because it doesn't always end up as an assist. And to that point that we were just talking about with the small ball lineups, without P.J., the Hornets played Miles at the 5 last night as a small ball 5. In the last 7 to 8 minutes of the game, he was out there as the lone big man. And that freed up space on the offensive side of the court. And in the last six and a half minutes, I took a note of this, Ball, Rozier, Ubre, Hayward, and Bridges closed the game. Uh, obviously, Bridges at the five there. 
and they outscored the Knicks 15-7 to in that last half quarter, shot the ball 83% from inside the arc. So clearly, it is opening up lanes inside the three-point line, and they were able to shoot 83% from inside the arc as miles as the small ball five. So it's not something that they can use 24-7, and even when P.J. comes back, you're still going to need Plumley. You're still going to need Richards to a certain extent. So I guess we'll wrap with this. We've got the Golden State Warriors on Sunday. Golden State is 11-1. and I'm sure out of all the people that are in here right now, they're probably not expecting a win on Sunday night. I think this team obviously is, is a top five team on both ends of the court. Very good passing team, even more so than the Hornets. From a shooting profile standpoint, they don't allow shots at the rim. And Charlotte is second in the NBA in attempt rate at the rim. So I think that's going to be an interesting battle there. If Charlotte can get enough penetration, get enough shots at the rim, that could bode well for their success. And you would think maybe, okay, the Hornets are very good in transition. Maybe they can turn the Warriors over and that would allow them to get more attempts at the rim. I just looked this up uh, this morning. The Warriors do turn the ball over quite a bit, but their turnovers are of the, like a good chunk of their turnovers are of the dead ball variety. So they're giving that team time to come back and set up on defense. So if they turn the ball over and it goes out of bounds, clearly the transition offense for Charlotte is not going to to kind of rev up there. You know, the Warriors defense is good. And when they get set, they're even better. So that's going to be an interesting battle there in terms of if Charlotte can, one, get out in transition, get shots at the rim, where Warriors are very good at eliminating that type of stuff. And this is the second meeting against these two teams. Bridges and Hayward had a very good game the last time that they played. But the team did give up 31 points to Jordan Poole. You know, Poole's a nice player, good on defense. He can score at the rim. But that can't happen Sunday night if Charlotte wants to have a chance to win. So I think I'm going to wrap here, not expecting a win against Golden State, uh, but you got to like their chances a little bit better at home, maybe coming off the the high of the win against the Knicks. I think the Hornets need to get two to three wins on this four-game home stretch. Right now they've got one of one, right, against the Knicks. So uh, there's a couple of games that seem a little bit more winnable. Tomorrow night against the Golden State Warriors is probably one of the tougher ones coming up. And, uh, yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed this talk. Thank you to everyone that showed up. Thank you to Eddie for for speaking up a couple times. And as always, guys, if you guys can give us a rating and review on the pod, that would be awesome. We really do appreciate that stuff and uh, enjoy reading them. So I will talk to you guys later, and I think that we'll probably do another one of these maybe after like a midweek game. Probably not tomorrow night, but probably the midweek game. So talk to you guys later.